Praise the Lord. This morning, title of the message, Would You Take Up the Fight? I sense the word of the Lord. Would you take up the fight? I want to begin with 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 to 3. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Oh, oh. Kings are to go out to battle, and David is taking his ease in Zion. You should know better, David. You're not a novice. You fought the battles of the Lord. You're a warrior. David, at ease in Zion. Verse 4, then David sent messengers. I'm sorry, verse... Three. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Uriah the Hittite was one of David's most loyal and trusted men. He was a part of the company, what was called the 30. You read of it in Kings and Chronicles, the 30. Elite troops, men that were the most skillful, the most trustworthy, men that would lay down their lives for the king, for their brothers, and for the kingdom. It wasn't always a literal number, the 30, sometimes more, sometimes less, but these were the best warriors, the most faithful warriors in the land. This man was a friend of David. David knew this man very well, and now he's looking out over his balcony down the slope of Mount Zion and sees a woman bathing. Uriah was a Hittite. He wasn't an Israelite. He was a Hittite, one of the original inhabitants of the land, a man who had come to faith in Jehovah. We say faith in Jesus Christ. He'd given himself to the Lord, to serve the Lord with all his heart. Verse 4 then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. I am with child. A knock on the door. I am with child. David panicked. He wasn't used to sinning. He didn't know how to cover up sin very well because he walked with the Lord with a perfect heart, but all of a sudden, his mind began to race. He said, I've got to get Uriah back to his house. I need to pass this child off on Uriah. Verse 6, then David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent, for Uriah, sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house. And a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? 
And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Uriah was slain in battle. The enemy didn't take him out. His friend took him out. David took him out. One of the most trustworthy and loyal men David had. The troops pulled back from him in battle and he lost his life at the wall of the city. Bible says that David walked with a perfect heart before God except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. What a great transgression. What a terrible sin by King David. And the Bible says because of it, the sword of consequences, the sword never left his house. He said, well, what's one mistake? What's one mistake? What's one transgression before the Lord? What if I violate in one situation? Does it matter? Will it matter much? Ask David. David, this mighty warrior, this man with a perfect heart, took his ease in Zion. He opened himself up to the enemy. He opened up to himself to temptation, and he fell. But my, I don't want to talk about David so much this morning. I want to have the spotlight on Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. Gentile come to Christ following the God of Jehovah, following the ways of the Lord, loving God, fighting with his brethren. What a spirit in this man. What a loyalty. What a faithfulness. He said, I will not go to my house while my brethren are on the field, while Joab and the troops are there. I will not go and lie with my wife. He says, I'll take a double oath. He says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He said, how can I live in ease and pleasure when my brethren are fighting on the field, when the warfare is on the battlefield and the good of Israel is at stake. He said, I will not take my ease and pleasure. The question this morning is, would you take up the fight? Would you take up the fight? We all have the opportunity, like Uriah, to live in pleasure and ease and our own comfort. But the question of the Lord is, would you take up the fight? There's a verse in Hebrews 13 and 3 that is very significant. The writer says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. I wonder, does our heart yearn and weep for the broken brothers and sisters across the world, some of them imprisoned, lives in peril, and in critical places in the nations of the world today? Lives are at stake, and many, many thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ will give their lives this week and in the coming weeks for the gospel. 
Approximately 450 people, Christians a day, are losing their life for the cause of Christ. I wonder as they're in those prisons, are our prayers for them? Are we crying out to God for them? Do we yearn over them? Do we offer up any prayers for them at all that God would sustain them and strengthen them? Families torn apart, girls taken, sons taken persecuted brothers and sisters. The Bible is clear. It says, remember them, their mistreatment, and because you are also in the body. We need to care for the body of Christ. We need to lift up prayers. We need to have a burden. Would you take up the fight? A few months ago, a young couple in the house, Daniel and Thea, came to me. They're here this morning. I asked Thea permission to share this word. They wanted to volunteer for a number of months at a small gospel mission in this city, preach the gospel there every week and minister to people, encourage people, evangelize people that were downtrodden, people on the streets, try to minister to them. And they wanted to let me know and gain blessing, which of course I readily offered. Then Thea shared a word referencing Joshua chapter 1 and thought, what a revelation. What a revelation of the word of the Lord. Joshua 1, 12 to 16. In Joshua chapter 1, there were two and a half tribes out of the 12 tribes of Israel that had already received their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan, Transjordan, the east of the Jordan. And the remaining nine and a half were to occupy and possess what we know as the land of Israel, Canaan direct today. So they already had their inheritance. And Joshua 1.12 says, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, the Transjordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Thea said, We've gained the inheritance of the Lord. Now we must fight for our brothers and sisters so that they too can come into the inheritance of the Lord and live in the blessing of God. Is that your spirit this morning? I want to fight for my brothers and sisters, even though I'm blessed, even though I've come into the inheritance of the Lord. I've received the goodness of the Lord. It's not for me now to live in ease and in my own pleasure. It's for me to fight for my brothers and sisters, for those that do not have the inheritance of the Lord, that they can gain the blessing and the wonders of God in their own life. Colossians chapter 2 and 1, the Apostle Paul said, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He said, I want you to know what great conflict I have the struggle, the yearning, the warfare in my heart 
for the people of God, for the unsaved of the world. Say, well, Paul, why, why did you pour out your life like you did? Nobody on the pages of the New Testament poured out their life. What was it that caused you to take up fasting prayers and night watchings and travel and trial and spiritual warfare, even a thorn, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet you? What caused you to pour out your life in such mighty ways before the Lord? Well, Paul gave us his answer. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, he said, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ, he said, the love of Christ is in my heart and I can't help but pour out my life for others. He says, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Then all were dead. In Adam, all died. All humanity dead without Christ. We judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Would you take up the fight? Would you take up the fight? Go for the brethren that have not gained their inheritance. Say, I won't take my ease in Zion. I won't take my pleasure. God forbid that I would do so. Brothers and sisters are on the field. The warfare is real on the earth. The warfare is near. The warfare is intense. And we must take up the fight. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was baptized, then filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he was led by the, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to overcome the devil. And he returned in the power of the Spirit and began to minister to the people. Luke 4, verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Verse 13, Overcoming the devil, the Lord overcame. It says, Now when the devil had tended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Just because you beat the devil once doesn't mean it's over. He seeks occasion against the people of God. He departed from him for an op until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. Jesus was baptized. He didn't need to repent, the sinless Son of God. But he was baptized. He said, John, baptize me, because this is necessary to fulfill the righteous requirements of the Lord. Baptize me, John. John baptized him. The Holy Spirit came upon him. The Bible says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness so Jesus could overcome the devil. And overcome the devil he did. He won over every temptation. And the Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He overcame the devil. Now he returned in the power of the Spirit. And he went out ministering and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Bible says Jesus is our example. We walk in his steps of faith. Now we need to repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need repentance 
from our sin. We need to turn our life around and become followers of Jesus Christ. We repent. We're baptized. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we too need, how to, need to learn how to overcome the devil, overcome temptation, overcome trial, so that we can return in the power of the Spirit in our lives and minister and be effective in the warfare that's on this planet so we can reign in life by Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus fulfilled his ministry, and even while he was here, he was handing off his ministry to his disciples, not only the 12, but the 70, and there were many more. But there came a point where he had to transition it fully. And he spoke to his disciples, and he said these words in Acts 1, 4 to 5. Now, he didn't only speak to the 12. Before he went to the cross, he said to his disciples, I will meet you in Galilee. I will meet you in Galilee. Jesus had 500 people, the Bible says, that met with him in Galilee. He appeared to 500 people. And he spoke to them and gave them direction after his resurrection. Now Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Overcome the devil. And then begin to minister. Jesus said, all authority is given me. I give it to you. Go out and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Minister my life and my blessing to all people. He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high, until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, till the power of God comes upon your life. Stay, stay in the upper room. The prayer room. Stay in the upper room, the prayer room, until you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you return in the power of the Spirit. 500 heard his message. 120 gathered in the prayer room. Only 25% of the people showed up in the prayer service. I've always been rather idealistic. I think 100% of God's people should show up in the prayer room. The whole congregation. Sunday morning, 9.15 till 10, the whole congregation in the prayer room, waiting on the Lord. 10 o'clock, praise and worship begins. Tuesday night, 7 to 8.30, hour and a half, prayer warriors, people of God pressing in, I like 100%, but I guess I have to be a little realistic. Jesus could only get 25% there. Wait in the upper room until you're endued with power from on high. It's not a one-time experience. They had to pray. They had other prayer meetings. They had continual prayer meetings. Wait in the upper room until you're endued with power. Well, how long do we have to wait? Well, he said... Not many days, but what is not many days with the Lord? Not many days, well, 
perhaps 10. 10 days? I can hardly pray 10 minutes without my mind starting to wander. And I start looking around for somebody to fellowship with. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation, so you're not overcome by the enemy, by the temptation of life, by your own personality. Found them sleeping. Son of God marveled. He said, what? Could you not watch and pray for one hour? You couldn't give me one hour of uninterrupted, dedicated prayer? The Lord is here this morning to incite the praise and worship warriors, to incite the prayer warriors, to incite our hearts. Would you take up the fight? Would you take up the fight? It's a world of ease. It's a world that caters to pleasure. Take your ease. Take your relaxation. But we want to have that spirit of Uriah. I won't go up to my house. I won't go up to my bed like David, too, at one point where he said, I won't give my sleep to my eyes until I find out a place for the presence of the Lord. Till I find out a place for the presence of the Lord. The Lord is here to incite the praise and worship and prayer warriors. There's a very significant verse in Hebrews 7:14. Scripture says, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. For it is evident that our Lord, the King James says, sprang out of Judah. Our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ, our great commander, our Savior, the Bible says, arose out of Judah. He didn't rise out of the common ministry of the acceptable Aaronic priesthood of the day. He didn't come out of the religious norm. He didn't come even out of that nominal Christianity, we'd say, that casual Christian crowd that was in Jerusalem and Israel in his day. Jesus sprang out of Judah. He comes out of the tribe of praise. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the warrior out of the people of praise. Jesus Christ, our Lord, sprang out of Judah. And praise and worship warriors today, prayer warriors today, do not come out of the common flow of evangelical ministry. They come out of the power of praise. They come out of the power of the prayer room. They come out with the power of God. The Lord sprang out of Judah. The lion sprang out of Judah. And you and I, as worship warriors and prayer warriors, we too must arise out of worship. We must arise out of prayer, the power of prayer and praise. We're the people of praise. We're the people of worship. We're the young lions of the tribe of Judah. We're the worship warriors. We're the ones who come out of the intensity of God's presence to do warfare and to break the battle in our own lives, in our families, and to touch the earth with the power of God. There were some wonderful prophecies given over Judah. Genesis 49, this is by Jacob. 
When you read this prophecy, you're, you're reading your own prophecy. You're reading the word of the Lord to you, the destiny on your own life, because your name is Judah. You're the people of praise. Genesis 49, 8, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, <clears throat> he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? We take the prey. Our hands are strong, our voice is strong. Words of Jacob over the sons of Israel, over us today. Nice prophecy, Jacob, but is there a better? Can we go a little further? Let's listen on, on Moses. He's no slouch either. Deuteronomy 33, verse 7. This is Moses' word to Judah. And this he said of Judah. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah. The shout of a king is in the people of praise. The voice of singing, the voice of declaration, the voice of confession and strength. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people, yes, victorious from the battle. Let his hands be sufficient for him. Let his hands clap and strike the enemy. We strike against you, O enemy. Let his hands be lifted in worship. As the Bible says, the imagery of the old Hebrew word, that as our hands are lifted in worship, that arrows are shooting off our fingertips against the enemy, and that as we lift our hands and wave our hands, that sling stones are being hurled from our hands against the enemy. Lord, hear the voice of Judah. Let his hands be sufficient for him. Be a strength to him, Lord, and be a help to him from his enemies. Would you take up the fight? Would you take up the fight? Let's not let the enemy steal our praise and worship weapons. Let's not let the enemy steal our prayer weapons because that is what he wants to do. In Psalm 8 and verse 2, the Bible says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Out of the mouth of new converts, you have appointed strength. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Matthew 21, 16, Jesus interpreted Psalm 8 and verse 2. He said, do you hear what these are saying? They said to him, Jesus said to them, yes, have you never heard out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Jesus said, the appointed strength of the people of God is perfected praise. And there's where we triumph. Don't let the enemy take your weapons. There was a time in Israel when the enemy had so oppressed the people of God that the Bible says there was not a sword or spear found in the hands of the common people. Only Saul, King Saul and Jonathan had a spear and a sword. The people had been stripped of their weapons. 1 Samuel 13, verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said... Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. 
Don't let those people of God fashion their praise and worship warfare, their weapons of deliverance. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening, for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes. And to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. Only with Saul and Jonathan, his son, there was not a sword or spear found in the hands of the people. The enemy wants to oppress us to the point where a sword or spear is not found in our hands, in the hands of the people. But it's a day to fire up the forge in the prayer room. Fire up the forge in your prayer room. Fashion yourselves some spears. Fashion yourselves some swords. We can't get by with pitchforks and ox goads and mattocks and axes. We need the weapons of the Lord. The weapons of the Lord are mighty to bring down the enemy, to cast down strongholds, cast down the tactics of the enemy, fashion the weapons. Don't let the enemy steal your praise and worship weapons. Don't let the enemy steal your prayer weapons. You don't have to be a veteran saint to overcome the devil. You don't have to have experience on the battlefield to overcome the devil. The Bible says out of the mouth of infants and nursing infants, God has ordained praise to still the enemy and the avenger. The most newly saved person can overcome the devil. The most recently saved person can beat the devil at his own game. Fashion your swords, fashion your spears. Worship team, come. Let's close out with Judges chapter 5, verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Two leaders of the people, a woman and a man, Deborah and Barak. This is for all of us. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Men and women together. Judges chapter 5, verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away. It's a time to awake in Zion. It's a time to awake in the camp of the Lord. Deborah, awake, begin to sing. A prophetic song, a song with a prophetic cutting edge that'll break the battle, that'll break the enemy, that will break the pressure of your circumstances. A song that'll break your fears and your anxieties and the struggles and the problems you're facing. There is a song of the Lord. Awake, awake, begin to sing. Begin to sing the song of the Lord. Awake, Barak. Come out of your slumber. Awake, Barak, arise. Come out of the relative comfort of the barracks. The warfare is intense. The enemy is near. The powers of darkness gather. And God wants to give us victory. Awake, Barak. Arise, Barak. Take up your sword and spear. And if not, 
I hope that when your ease is done, there will still be something left to fight for. People here today that are facing the intimidation of the enemy. It's a day to take up our weapons. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah. Don't let the enemy silence your voice. Don't let the enemy suppress your spirit. Days of trial, days of temptation, days of circumstances, days of struggle, days of family problems. We must rise in the power of God. Awake, awake, arise. Take up the weapons of the Lord for yourself, for the people of God. The inheritance of the Lord would be enlarged and the blessing of the Lord would prosper on you, on your family, and on the church. And so today, let's stand in this place today and let's offer ourselves to God. Let's sharpen our swords this morning. Maybe the enemy has oppressed you. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you've been taken down in battle. Maybe you've fallen this week. Maybe there's a difficulty you can't seem to overcome. The weapons of the Lord will always prosper. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And today's a day to fashion your weapons afresh. Lift your hands and let those arrows shoot from your fingertips. Hurl those stones against the enemy. Cry out to God for that says, hear Lord the voice of Judah and bring him victorious to his people. This is the way of the Lord. Would you take up the fight this morning? Don't give in to the enemy. Don't give in to fears. Don't give in to negativity. Don't give in to the onslaught that's on the world right now. Rise in the power of the Holy Spirit. Rise in the power of faith. Rise in the power of the promises of God because God is our victory. The Lord is our victory this morning.